Welcome, Nisha, to A Modern Visionary. Tiffany, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I am so excited. I'm excited for all my guests, but I'm particularly excited about you today because I've been wanting to have this conversation with you for a long time. So I'm excited to just jump into it. Um, we start off, I don't know if you've listened to any of Modern Visionary podcasts, but we start off with a little bit of an interesting opener, um, and it's your WTF. <laughs> like, so with all the things that are going on in the world today, which we know it's constant, um, just, I mean, lots, we're inundated constantly with all kinds of chaos and greatness and good things, but the news always brings more chaos. So with that being said, in the world of leadership, business or politics, what has you going WTF? What the is going on right now? Oh my gosh. Where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, um, oh, I just can't believe that we're still, that there are still folks that are supporting this president. I don't know. That is like one of my biggest up in my face WTFs. Like still with everything, it keeps going still. <sighs> so I, I guess that's probably um, that's fair. my biggest WTF <laughs> right now. Yeah. Every morning you wake up and you're just like, is this real life? Is this still, this is still happening? And that it's only been like two years. Yeah, I know. That, that, that part. <laughs> That part. Um, no, that's and let's that's just fair. say only two more at most. Yes. We'll just put that I out. Only one more at most, actually. <laughs> I'm I mean, with the non Mueller report, Mueller report <laughs> that just came out, I'm like, well, that was anticlimactic. <laughs> <laughs> that, that went... We're like, wait for it, wait for it. Yeah. Okay. Nothing. We got nothing. So yeah. with that, that's probably, if I had to ask myself that question, that would be my WTF. Like really all this hype over, we, we got nowhere, but some indictments, <laughs> I suppose, which still does nothing um, to this whole thing. But anyway, moving out of the WTF, let's counter that chaos with what is bringing you joy right now. Oh, well, I'm super excited. I mean, this is just on a very, very personal level, but I'm about to lead a retreat and I love leading retreats so, so much. It's one of my favorite things to do. And I think just the personal like anticipation of that and also the it's coupled with the anticipation of Global Sisterhood Day. So I think like the very personal, personal level is like women being together that is like brings me so much joy and the opportunities that I have in my own life for that to happen. And then on a macro level, I think that is also the thing that is bringing me joy is just seeing women and femmes come together and unite and create spaces for ourselves and, um, and just like an upswell of recognition for many of us like, oh, right, we need one another and we need to like band together and support one another and, and this is sort of my, 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 what's bringing me joy is expanding as I speak to it, which is great. But um, also I think um, a greater um, understanding of intersectional feminism and recognizing that it's not just about gender equality, but so much more. Yeah. So that's bringing me yeah. joy. Just that increasing, growing understanding. And talking about Sisterhood Day, that when when is that every single year so that people can get on board with that 
it's in March every single year. So yeah. I know by the time this recording comes out, it'll probably be passed. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but is it um, a particular March day or it changes? It flux um, each year. It changes. It's always at the end of March and it's always on a weekend so that okay. more people can find time and space together. Theoretically, you know, everyone's okay. different, but weekdays, a lot of people work. Right. And the whole goal of that day is to be in sisterhood and oh, to well. circle up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. I feel like International Women's Day is a really important day. And I think we need like women's year, not (laughs) women's month. But anyways, I digress. Um, For Global Sisterhood Day, what I really wanted was to uh, create a day where we um, really like open the space for women to gather together and to celebrate connections between women, relationships between women. So yes, exactly what you said. It's a time for women to get together, to gather. Yeah. I love that. I will be, cause I remember seeing it and I'm like, Oh, cause I circle with, with my sister friends probably at least once a month. And I'm like, Oh, that'd be like perfect day, but I'll be in, in, uh, out of town with a friend for her birthday. So it'll oh. still be somewhat, but there'll probably be guys there, <laughs> there too. Um, okay. They can celebrate the women. Exactly. And well. as they, as they should, as they should. Well, I'll make sure to have more about Global Sisterhood Day in the show notes so that people can make sure that they are in tune with it for the upcoming year. Um, So today I'm excited to dive into the soul of leadership, which I know you're very passionate about. I've been very fortunate to participate in several of your programs over the years. And I just want to say that it has helped in so many ways, especially during a time when I was kind of stepping into um, motherhood, along with growing my business, along with also seeing these other sides of leadership that I wanted to step into. And your courses just bring about a sense of balance. <laughs> Bal- and, I, and you can't see my hands, but I'm putting the quote balance in the sense of really tuning in to these different parts of the wholeness, right? These different parts of our wholeness. And I just appreciate you and the work that you do. Um, but this is not going to be me like gloating about all your, all your programs <laughs> on this podcast. I really do want to jump into soul of leadership because it's a very interesting way to put it, especially in a time where we are questioning a lot of leaders in general, whether they even have souls um, <laughs> to go into, you know, what is, the soul of, or what is soul of leadership and at its core, how would you define it? Mm. Thank you for everything that you shared. And um, I love this question and I feel like the answer is kind of esoteric. So I just invite everyone to go on this little journey with me. Um, Stay with us for this. (laughs) Yeah. Which is, you know, I've really been for a long time, like many years in this sort of like lifelong, well, not lifelong, but maybe a decade long meditation on like, what is it that has women feel truly empowered to step into being of service in the ways that they want to be of service, showing up in their lives in the way that they want to show up inside of their relationships, whether they're personal relationships or as mothers or partners or within companies, like what is it that has us feel truly empowered? And I don't mean the kind of like, you can do it, girl, like uh, sort of um, a veneer of Mm -hmm. 
of confidence, but like a deep, um, a deep confidence, a deep courage, a deep willingness, a deep devotion. Like what is it that shapes that willingness, that ability to really show up? And as I've done work with women over the last, you know, 11 or so years, I've really seen that it is like embodying more of ourselves, like actually embracing more of who we are and embodying the fullness of who we are. And so I've for years worked with women around stepping into their leadership. And what I notice is that there's a lot of stories about how and who we have to be in order to show up as leaders. And so we feel like either I don't fit into that image, you know, that's not me. And a lot of women, when I ask them, like, close your eyes and like envision a leader in your head. And oftentimes it's like a white dude in a suit. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. that's what we're shown again and again. That's what we've been fed for our whole lives. And that's changing. Thank goodness it's changing. And so, you know, if anyone just did that exercise and like, had a different image pop into your head that was inspiring, awesome. And, uh, you know, not that white dudes can't be leaders, but for a lot of us, it's like, well, that's just not me. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't fit that image. And so I either have to become more of like what I see in the world, much of which is super toxic, very harmful, and not taking us in a direction that feels like uplifting for the collective, you know, Mm -hmm. feels nourishing and like genuine, deep, long-lasting continual progress, right? And so we either have to this become this thing that doesn't seem to be really working and creating solutions, or we just don't fit in it. And so our voices don't become part of it. And so what I did is I ended up, and this is where the esoteric part comes in, wanting to understand what is leadership beyond the, the images, the pictures, the stories, the definitions that we've been told. And so I worked with a mentor of mine. Her name is Hiro Boga to connect with the actual soul of leadership. Like if each human being has a, an energy, an essence, a sort of like, you know, if someone really knew you well, Tiffany, and they were describing you, they would describe all of these beautiful qualities, you know, about you. And so what are the actual qualities in true leadership? That's what I wanted to know. And so mm-hmm. when I connected with the soul of leadership, I was like, oh, this is non-hierarchical. This is collaborative. This is about community. This is about care. This is about our sovereignty, our integrity, our courage, our devotion, and, and so on and so forth. And so that then became the work. The work yeah. then became about how do we embody those qualities so that we can move towards a future that so many women who I'm talking to and have, have, I've read their shares like many of us are, are dreaming about a very similar future, you know, mm-hmm. a future where our children have like a healthy planet that they can thrive on and that they take care of and that they are taking care of one another and that, you know, we have ways of dealing with conflict that aren't strictly punitive and that cause more nourishment and well-being and healing than harm. And I could go on and on and on, but again, the work started to center at that point around how we can embody the qualities that will take us in that direction. I love it. I really do because I feel like I've been working on that and especially with the help of your program. Um, This particular course helps you really understand what each piece 
of those qualities mean for the work that you do. And it's very similar, you know, as I work with individuals on helping them identify the core of who they are so that they can show up for the work that they do. I think each one of these qualities are so important. I actually want to talk about them, but I want to um, hit the point that you were saying of, of women struggling to step into that form of leadership because they see a certain type of leader, right? That is, could be white male, um, that, that very masculine approach to leadership. And I remember talking to a client of mine and I think she was even referring to a modern visionary and she like questioned if she could listen to a modern visionary because she didn't feel like she was a leader. And it was very interesting because I'm like, I don't, well, first I don't really understand. Um, everyone can listen to this podcast, but, um, why would you think you're not a leader? Like you're a business owner that just by itself, you're leading something, but why not a leader? And she couldn't really answer the question. And I realized that most people, well, not most, but a lot of people that I talk to just can't see themselves as a quote unquote leader, even though we're all leading in some way, shape or form, whether we're leading the family, leading our friends, they come to us for advice. I'm like, I am a leader um, in that regard. And I know that you feel that way, that we are all leaders. Why do you think is it because we always have like that one view of what a leader is supposed to be that we tend to struggle with identifying as a leader? I think that. I think also because we live inside of structures that are hierarchical. So we live with top-down leadership. There's leader or leaders at the top. And even within leadership, there's a hierarchy. And then there are all the followers or the workers, the doers at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And so people sort of start to identify themselves in one of those roles. And I actually think what's genuinely deeply true is that we are all followers and we are all leaders mm -hmm. in different ways. Mm -hmm. You know, there are times where I, as a human being, need to step back and follow the leadership of someone else. You know, they know more than me. It's a place where I have a lot of learning to do. They have more energy, bandwidth, whatever than me. Like, I think there's this idea that a, a leader is someone who's always leading the charge. They're always at the front. They're always at the top. And I think that a true leader knows that they will sometimes be leading the charge. They will sometimes be at the back. They will sometimes be on the sidelines listening and learning. They will sometimes be in the middle, like organizing and, you know, bringing people together. And so I think the more that we can embrace, yes, we are leaders. We are also followers. And that is, that's right. That's human. That's good. That's mm -hmm. okay. like, that is the natural order of things. You can be a teacher and a student. We are teachers and students. Yeah. Exactly. At the same time. <laughs> totally. And and where and because we are followers and leaders both you know then we can be discerning like when is it a moment for me to step back and then what is my role in stepping back is it to support is it to sit and listen and learn is it to you know take the leadership and and you know um, take the actions that are guided by those who I trust, who I'm following, who, you know, and when is it time for me to step forward, to bring my voice forward, to, um, you know, rally others for a cause or, you know, for a project. So in that way, I, I, if that for me gives me tremendous freedom to recognize that being a leader doesn't mean only being a leader. It, it just means discerning when it's time for me to lead. And when right. it's time for me to be in a different role and, and being a leader 
doesn't mean that I have to see myself or place myself above anyone else. And I think that, you know, if you ask a lot of us who the leaders are who inspire us the most, really, they are often people who do not, it seems, see themselves as any better than anyone else Mm -hmm. and bring a tremendous amount of humility. Um, I, I just, I love Michelle Obama. I just love her. And she is one of my I don't have like a, a vision board or a poster board, but it, I have one in my head and <laughs> she's on it. <laughs> of like, yes. someone inspires me with their leadership. And um, I, I can agree with that. Yeah. Because <laughs> I she's just on like my, my advisory board. Like I have like a advisory board of individuals that I just literally have in my Trillo and <laughs> she's on it. So whenever I'm like, you know, what would Michelle Obama say about this? I situation? love that. That's <laughs> so good. That's so good. I love that. And I see, and I see her as a tremendously courageous person and also as a very humble person in many ways. And I don't know her personally, obviously, but what I sense and feel and, and experience from her is that. And so, yeah, I, I think that often a lot of like very deeply like humble, beautiful people are like, I don't see myself as a leader because they feel like in order to step into that, that would mean that they see themselves as more important than other mm. people. Or yeah. that they would have to, you know, do the things that we see leaders do, like step on other people. And so that I just am such a champion for us recognizing, like, you know, that we are leaders and also we are followers. And that is by human design. Yeah. And we can really flip the whole leadership paradigm on its head and have a different approach to it. There, there are no rules. <laughs> Um, we can, we can create the kind of leadership that we all need to really thrive in this world. And I'm, I'm so grateful for those like you and, and really a lot of us who are stepping up, especially our generation. It's just, we're, we're not taking it, you know, lightly. Like it's not going to continue to be this way because we are now stepping into, something that we've never seen before, at least in our time, and it's shifting. Um, and we're also starting to have children. And when I look at my daughter, um, I am so excited to be here and guide her. And I'm also petrified at what <laughs> could be happening or what, you know, what might happen. And I know that at least myself and whoever I can rally will be effective change for her and all the little people (laughs) of the world that are going to be looking to us for this level of guidance. And I know that you have a little one as well, and they really drive you to want to do better. Um, It it was really her having her, that I'm like, Oh no, we're, we're just changing. All of this has to go. (laughs) All of this has to go and make room for the kind of world that I know my daughter and your son and all the other small people. And we all deserve to live on a planet that is like nourished. We all deserve to be nourished and well and fed. And all of these things are on the top of the priority list. Um, But with that is a level of work that we all have to do internally and externally. And they kind of have to do that teetering thing. And so I want to talk more about some of the qualities of the soul of leadership, some of the things that we and maybe the listeners can 
start um, working on, you know, as they develop what their soul of leadership looks like. And I know there's 12 of them and I have them up so that I make sure we go through each one. But I know it, you could go on. I mean, you have literally a whole program about it. But if you could give a quick um, overview of each one of the qualities so that people have a better understanding of what each one looks like, that would be great. Um, the first one is integrity, which I think we all can agree with. It's supposed to be <laughs> the pillar yeah. of leadership. Yeah. So I define integrity as honoring ourselves and honoring others through our actions. And I think that we have integrity normally as like, do what you say you're going to do. Mm -hmm. And that's not, not true. Right. But often we say that we're going to do something because that's what we've been taught is the right thing to do. And so I think with integrity, there can be a lot, it, it, it can be loaded for us because it can be loaded with, um, you know, uh, not rocking the boat, you mm. know, following the status quo, you know, being a good girl you know, right. or a good person. And a good person does X, Y, Z because that's what my parents, my church, my whatever said. And so integrity to me is like a deep honoring of, of ourselves and of others through our actions. I love that. Honoring ourselves and I mean, uh, I can go on a tangent with a lot of things happening right now. We're going to just continue to, to the next one, which is fluidity. So fluidity is fluidity is I, I sort of like feel the qualities as I'm speaking about them. You know, mm. for me it's really much more something that we feel, which is, you know, something that I do inside of the course is like really how do we feel? How do we embody this quality? Um I'll say when we're not in fluidity, we're in like rigid thinking, black black and white, this, this or that you know, and fluidity kind of opens us up to when we're in a quality of fluidity, we're more open to, um, to different ways of seeing things, right? Different ways of experiencing things. And often, and also, and I think this is a really big one and, and, and a big kind of question that any one of us could live in for an entire lifetime, but looking at the way that we hold on to identities and so when we're in a more fluid state, we start to loosen our grip on those identities. And, you know, it doesn't mean that I'm all of a sudden like, I'm not a mother anymore, so I don't have to take care of my kid. But like, what are the stories that I have about being a mother that create a lack of freedom in my life, in my relationship with my child, tension, and so on. So it's like these identities, good girl, you know, uh, good mother, good wife, good this, good that, fluidity can allow us to explore some of those identities and so much more that it brings as well. I love that. I realize I didn't fully go into the order. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about sovereignty. That was really what was supposed to come after integrity, sovereignty. And that's something that you definitely don't hear too much in any leadership training. Mm-hmm. Well, sovereignty is about our relationship to power and to freedom. And we think of freedom as being, uh, sorry, we think of freedom often these days we think about as like, I can do what I want to do. 
you know? Uh, mm-hmm. So it's taken on a, a different sort of quality, I think, in the more recent generations where we're like, freedom equals laptop on a beach. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Um, and uh, I mean, I guess that could be an expression of freedom. You're not in prison and <laughs> laptop isn't plugged into anything. You're allowed to roam. It's really hard to see your laptop when you're sitting on the beach, yeah. by the way. Also, something <laughs> you'd rather be doing if you're on the beach, like, you know, being at the beach. <laughs> I've always thought that. But, you know, it does make a, a, a nicer office maybe than a cubicle for some of us. But True. anyway, I'd probably get more done in a cubicle and just enjoy being at the beach. So, um, no, but, but sovereignty is really about our relationship to freedom and power and, and intrinsic, internal, like knowing the freedom that we are, the freedom that is our, our innate essence, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's a redefinition of a relationship with power, power as being um, an energy that moves from the earth through us. And it isn't about power over others or others' power over us, but about the, the quality of sovereignty is about being rooted in power and being in right relationship with freedom and power. I really love sovereignty. <laughs> I love it. Uh, curiosity. Yeah, I, I will say that I think what we often think curiosity is, is just like asking lots of questions. And I, you know, somebody can ask a lot of questions and not be very attuned. Like I could ask you a lot of questions like, where were you last night? What were you doing? Why were you doing that? Why, what are you doing now? Why are you wearing that? Like the, it's not actually an energy of curiosity. It's like, I'm grilling you or something. Mm-hmm. So and curiosity. Being annoying <laughs> in, in that being process. Right. <laughs> Dominant too, right? Right. And to me, the best teachers of curiosity to me are like really small children because mm. they are just like, what? What is this? What is this? What is this? What is that? How does this work? How does that work? Um, I always say that curiosity is opening towards the, is the genius of opening towards possibility. Mm-hmm. You know, that there is, there is wisdom. We think that, that, that wisdom or genius is about knowing things. And I think actually the real wisdom is in exploring things. Yeah, that discovery. In, yes, yep. being in the exploration. And I think curiosity is a leadership quality that if we imagine more of our leaders really embodying curiosity, like an openness, and instead of always um, kind of holding this position that they know and they know everything, being genuinely deeply curious. Um, mm. Apparently, I am going to show my total Obama fandom right now, but I think Barack Obama really embodies curiosity in many ways. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. what is possible? What could be possible? Let's explore this. Let's think about it. I love that. I mean, my daughter is definitely in that explore. I mean, all small children are, but she's mom, look at this. Look what I can do. Like, and she's just so excited and just in an awe of the little things. And that also helps you can reconnect as adults when we have small children to be like, Oh yeah, that is cool. Isn't it? (laughs) I can do this little thing. And, and that kind of curiosity um, allows us to really understand the world that we live in and what we want to do, what we want to explore, how we want to show up. And so when we come at everything from that place of knowing 
fully knowing, I think we lose a lot of ourselves or our, at least our, our understanding of what is possible. Totally. And the ability to learn and, and to learn from others and include other people in our considerations and our, in our choices and so forth. So, yeah. Yeah. Love that too. Attunement. <sighs> I mean, imagine a world where we had um, people like world leaders that were really connected to their intuition you know, that were really like attuned to their intuition, that were really attuned to other people, um, that were able to, to really empathize with others. Mm -hmm. Um, gosh, I, I am totally blanking on her name, but there was the, the recent tragedy in Christchurch, New Zealand Mm -hmm. and, um, the prime minister, prime minister, prime minister there. I was watching and listening to her, um, you know, the speech that she gave right after the shooting and, um, and just watching her meet with these families. And she, to me, displayed incredible attunement. Um, of course, I wasn't there every moment, but the glimpses that I saw, I didn't, I didn't witness every moment because mm-hmm. I'm just watching clips on the internet, but the glimpses that I saw of her really looking into people's eyes, listening, you know, um, she, she wore a hijab, uh, when she went and spoke to me, that is attunement. You know, Mm -hmm. she was being with these people and, um, there's a, a humility and a grace that we can have when we're attuned because we're really listening and not just yeah. with our ears, but sort of open, energetically listening, attuning, and and therefore able to more deeply connect with our own intuition as well. So yeah, I can see that it's something that we don't have in this country with the leader, a certain leader. <laughs> it's not very attuned to anything, uh, really. So yeah, that part of leadership, that part, attunement and trust. Ooh, trust is a big one. Trust mm-hmm. is a big one. Um, and it's an interesting one. It always brings up a lot of like, ooh, how do we trust when there's so much that's not worthy of our trust? And so to me, trust is really about connecting with A, our body, the wisdom of our body, a deep trust in our body, and uh and then also finding where in the world we can source a feeling and quality of trust from so that as we're moving through life, as we're making decisions, we're not making all of those decisions from a place of fear, of terror. Um, but actually, when we are able to connect with, a, with the energy, the quality of trust in inside of our own bodies and with this earth and sort of the greater unfolding of life, I think we're much more able to open to and be devoted to a vision. Mm-hmm. That little voice that we often ignore, that, that's a part of your intuitive trusting that many of us don't just go with. We're like, we question it. We don't trust it all the time or any of the time. <laughs> right. And, you know, if we're making all of our decisions from a place of fear and worry, they're going to not necessarily be the most visionary choices aligned mm-hmm. with the vision because what they are aligned with is uh, railing against what we're afraid of or worried about happening. 
instead of or instead of including an orientation towards what we're committed to, you know, Mm -hmm. and what our vision is. Well, I love that you talk about trust in that way of really trusting self, because I feel like in other types of leadership programming, it would be more geared towards you being trustworthy. Like, is anyone going to trust you? But you have to trust yourself if you want others to trust you. So it's, it's that duality that has to occur. And so thank you again for that one. Yeah, um, and we, we, I think we become trustworthy, not by convincing people that we're trustworthy, but by being people mm-hmm. <laughs> who we are proud to be like integrated embodied human beings who are attuned, who are sovereign, who respect the sovereignty of others and so forth and so on. So yes. Yes. Courage. Oh, well, um, I'm trying to sort of tune into like what is courage beyond what we think courage is. I think a lot of it is what we think courage is, right? Mm -hmm. It's like really, oh, the willingness to get back up again and move forward. And, And I think that's the part is the getting back up again. You know, the courage to start can be challenging, but the courage to continue can also be challenging. And so, um, you know, we've sort of talked about this quality of like connecting the ability to connect with our intuition and to really trust that, to trust life. And this is actually about now, then what do you do with that? You know, the willingness to like step into the unknown and it's all unknown, but to follow that calling and to do it with a, with a clear and open heart. Mm, devotion. Uh Devotion is the way that our hands weave love. Is what I say about devotion, and um, I there is this there is a, a poem. Oh my gosh, I, I wish I could remember the whole thing. Um, it's by Oriah Mountain Dreamer, and there is a line, and I might botch it a little bit, but it's something like, um, you know, I. I want to know that you will, you know, get up in the middle of the night worn and weary to take care of the children. And I think of devotion as um, it is that like willingness to show up, you know, not just the courage to like be like, I will, but actually the willingness to follow through. And I think that we have an duty like we think of devotion as being duty, like I have to, but there is actually a place from which we can show up that has a, a rootedness to it, that has a, in a way, like a, almost a, can, can have a softness to it. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying soft is the right way to show up. I think we can show up fiery and soft and fierce and all of it. But I just think about like, and you're a mother, so you know this, those moments where you kind of are at your edge And it's Mm -hmm. like, I don't know, I might lose it right now. Or I, you know, I feel like I'm going to shut down and go completely numb. And I guess what devotion might have us do in that moment is like find a deep well of reserve 
of internal mm-hmm. reserve and resolve and love for this person and love for ourselves and the like patience to be here in this moment and the willingness to be here in this moment and then move forward from that place. And there can actually, in the devotion, there can be a settling, like almost a bit of a relaxation because we let go of like the tension that sometimes duty can have to be in the depth that devotion has. I'm like, I love them all. I'm like, I'm going to go back through each and every single one of these again. (laughs) Focus. Yeah. Okay. So one thing that I want to say about focus is we think of it as being channeling, like pushing our energy out, right? So I have to like push my attention into this direction. And I think what focus actually is, is about coming in, bringing our attention in. Like focus first happens by drawing all of the stray energy and attention from all of the places that it has gone to, to bring it into the center of our being and to bring it into this quiet moment inside of ourselves to get clarity. And then we can channel that energy outward. And so um, what I see a lot of like productivity hacks being about are like, how can we, um, how can we like put the blinders on and force our attention into a direction. And what I'm interested in is how do we actually learn the skill of drawing our attention inwards so that we can get quiet and still enough to then channel that energy out. And so, you know, so soulful. Push your attention forward and still have tremendous confusion and self doubt and overwhelm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and be quite frankly, pretty miserable. And I think that sort of can lead to a lot of disconnection. And so people can be really focused. I mean, this is a conventional leadership quality focus, right? But you can be focused on the wrong thing. You know, you can be focused and pushing forward something that is actually really troubling, you know, really harmful to yourself or to other people. And so to me, pulling in and drawing in our focus you know, letting all of those the stray attention come into the center of our being helps us recognize what's what, so that we're clearing away that self confu- that self doubt, that confusion, um, the sort of uh, duty bound. I will like put my attention on this regardless and follow through with this regardless. To be like, what is actually true here, and that I think brings a much more truthful, integrous, honest. Um, kind of focus. And that's where you go back and kind of play with curiosity and fluidity. And they yeah, all just, they all <laughs> they all just parallel in and flow they into all. each other. I love that. Uh, creativity. Oh, well, I think that, you know, we often have um, this idea that things have to be one way or the other. And so um, you know, often when I'm speaking with women, they're like, well, you know, for me to be successful in my work, I just, you know, I have to do this and I have to do this and, and these things have to suffer, you know, or in order for me to be a great mom, you know, I can't really, you know, run a business or I can't. So we have all of these, like, it's this or this, I can do this or I, you know, and I think, wow, there is so much creativity available when we actually recognize ourselves as creative beings and allow for creativity. So obviously curiosity can fund and and nourish and support. Like curiosity is that sort of opening energy, but then creativity is 
the willingness to actually play with things, right? To actually play with trying things different, with allowing more of ourselves and our energetic imprint to be in the things that we're doing, to actually explore problems by flipping them on their head and looking at them differently. So to me, this is a, a really playful energy of doing, but doing and um, doing and perceiving by looking at things in different, from different angles. Yes. Yes. Just all the yes. Receptivity. Uh, well, uh, I'll kind of go back to this, you know, way of looking at it, which is how would it be if our world leaders were really able and willing to take in feedback and criticism and critique without jumping to be defensive without shutting down, without going into shame, without, you know, sort of throwing fire back. How would it be if we were actually able to take things in, both praise and criticism, and work with them? See what's true, you know, see what needs to be shaped. I think we become much more mature human beings through the act of embracing receptivity. Mm-hmm. And last, but certainly not least, is luminosity. Yeah, which is the willingness to be seen. And this is a big one. I find a lot of really like beautiful, humble people are like, oh, don't, I don't want the spotlight, you know? Um, and what's beautiful is when we have the spotlight, we can choose where we direct it, where we direct attention. And so it doesn't have to be about us. Um, but there, the, this developing the ability to, um, to be seen, to be heard, to take up space. And also when we look at luminosity, we're working with issues of comparison, competition, um, better than or less than, mm-hmm. and, um, and really like, how do we also work with the energy of joy and aliveness in this world and in our work? And in our lives. So it's going to be a book. No. <laughs> I'm like, everyone needs a little soul of leadership in their life. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's perfectly titled because each one is reflective of that very soulful approach to all of those different words. And some of them um, are used a lot in different leadership you know, understanding and books and programs, but some are definitely like, oh, hmm, I never really thought about that as a leader or what that looks like for me. So thank you for that. Mm. Um, You do a really amazing job, at least from the outside looking in, of holding space at the intersection of leadership, entrepreneurship, and being politically um, active and in social change and in your voice around that. Um, have you always recognized that intersection or did you struggle with holding space for what some would say are very, very different worlds? That's a great question. Um, I think I definitely struggled uh, for a while. I, when I started my business, Um, I started my business really because I wanted to contribute to social change. And so my very first business was um, after becoming a health coach, I wanted to support women around emotional eating because A, I wanted more women to be rooted in themselves and connected to their bodies. 
And also because I recognized that when we developed our relationships with food, that would shift a lot. So if more people are conscious and cognizant of what they're eating, then we shift our demand for foods. And a lot of, you know, we have supply and demand. So if more people are wanting healthy whole foods, if more people are wanting less package, if packaging, if more people are wanting real food, that starts to change a lot. Like we're talking about changing the agriculture system and changing big pharma and changing a lot. And so to me, it was like health is this ultimate grassroots movement. What's my place in it and how can I support that? But then when I started my business, I then quickly got into the weeds of like, how the heck do you build a business? And like, how do you get clients and market and blah, 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 blah. And so for a while there, I feel like I, I really was like immersing my, my, my learning, but also my time and attention and effort into the building and running of a business. And that's fine. But there was a time several years ago where I started to feel like kind of lost actually and, and disconnected from like a deeper sense of purpose. And I really missed this aspect of myself that I called my activist self. I don't consider myself to be like an activist. I'm not a career activist. I, I personally choose to like offer that title to the people who give their life to, to activism. Um, but anyways, I digress. I miss that aspect of myself. I miss the aspect of myself that was like in the know about what was happening in the world and, and using my voice around it. And so, yes, I did. There was some compartmentalizing for a while. And, and I think also I did have this fear that I would alienate people, you know, mm -hmm. that people wouldn't feel you know, well, if I'm going to share my political views, that means that roughly 50% of people are automatically going to be like, well, we're not on the same team. See you later. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I just had to do a personal reckoning around what really mattered to me. And it doesn't mean that I, that I can't like love or, um, you know, listen to people who have different views than me, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to silence myself because I'm too afraid that I'm going to lose popularity over mm -hmm. it. And that was just like, I just had to look in the mirror and be like, what do you really stand to lose by speaking your voice and sharing your truth? And I'm not presupposing that other people don't have a lot to lose. People do. I, I understand that this is complex and some people have to feed their families and their, you know, like their job depends on them being silent and gosh, that is a tough position to be in. But I just recognized for myself, I really didn't have all that much to lose by being truthful, but I literally had our world to lose from not being truthful, mm -hmm. you know, and my own like sense of walking my soul's path. <laughs> so right. I was like, I have a lot to lose by not sharing um, it around things that are much more important to me than like clients or followers. Right. When I say clients, my clients are important to me, but I mean like getting more clients, you know, like more money or followers. Yeah. That, I mean, your journey kind of follows mine in the sense of compartmentalizing, which I think we all have to do at certain points. You're kind of in the thick of whatever it is that is new that you're learning. But when I decided to do a modern visionary, that was the point where I'm like, there is a definitely an intersection of being a leader, being a business, having a business, and it all being very political. 
despite what people want to think about it, you know, when they're, I don't do politics. I'm like, well, <laughs> it's something that you can't really, I mean, you can choose to not be present for it or have a voice in it and actively participate, but you do politics every day. Something is being decided for you, whether you think it is or not, like something is, is happening. And I think by not having these kind of discussions of how it all is very interwoven, just does the world a disservice. And personally, where we don't really understand how it all gets made, you know, and how we're living and leading and working and breathing. And, and it's all just one big thing to me. And so when I see those like you who are very fluid in how you share and how you show up, um, it's inspiring. It inspires people like me, and I hope that we all inspire others to, you know, follow suit in their own in their own special way. So, thank you for that. Um, what is your big vision for the world? If you have like a something big, and that's very relative, <laughs> but what is what is your big vision for the world, and what is your big vision for yourself personally as you, you know, expand your work? Yeah. I will share that the that my big vision for the world is right now including just embracing a lot of grief because I recognize that for us to get to my big vision for the world there might we might we might scrape our knees even more you know there might be more destruction and more loss and so I'm I think for a long time my vision I just really there was a lot of like death grip hope around it and now I feel like I can hold it without that death grip because I am also able to or practicing embracing the grief of what is in a way, you know? And so my vision for the world is like a place where we tend this mama earth, like we are taking care of this earth because we recognize that she is our mama. And there's a, there's a treading lightly on this earth and also that we, like each of us, um, that we create social structures and a kind of like neighborly community uh, global culture that we're, where we're showing up for our neighbors, we're showing up for the people in our communities where we create systems and structures that nurture community care mm -hmm. and then larger systems and structures that are designed to actually uplift those who most need uplifting and take care of children and different disenfranchised people and marginalized peoples. And, um, and then from those systems and structures that we've built that become then normal, you know, there is more care towards the earth and more individual personal nourishment for each person. And then that starts to, sh you know, as we change systems, more systems change. So that would be my vision is like no war, more thriving for all beings and, um, and the kind of like deep community care that allows us to heal together and be real together and, um, and navigate life together as human beings. That's my big vision. I love it. Um, I love hearing everyone's big vision. Uh, usually it's, it's all very similar to some degree, but it's all so beautiful and personal. Um, what's your definition of a modern visionary? I think it, to me, a modern visionary is um, 
someone who holds a radical vision for our collective rising. I dig it. Mm -hmm. I definitely dig it. It's like simple to the point, very quotable and tweetable. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And do you have any advice for those who are looking to embark on their leadership journey? Um, and want to possess some of those qualities that you shared on this episode today um, around creating the soul of leadership. Yeah. I would say, um, like, look for opportunities to be of service right in front of you. Um, this is something that I'm learning so much, but like we live on, on our property with our elderly landlord. She lives in, uh, in a separate house on the same property. And I'm like, you know, my real opportunity to lead, one of my real opportunities to lead every day is like to check in on her, you know, mm-hmm. to like bring her soup, to, you know, offer to like carry the groceries. And so I just think like that kind of community care where we can just like look around us and see what are the opportunities for how I can show up and like be the person that I want to be that are already in front of me. Um, And then, you know, and then turn around and be like, just for ourselves, not to share with Instagram, (laughs) you know, I mean, whatever, if people want to do that, it's fine. But I like, we're not doing it so that we can get like kudos from the world, but just to do it. And then to actually recognize like how that feels to be in our leadership, like how that feels to be actively engaged in our leadership in a way that feel that we feel proud of. And um, yeah, it's so simple, but I think those small acts of being of service to the people around us in loving ways in ways that we can be proud of it creates this positive feedback loop where like, I want to be more of the person that I'm proud of. I want to be more of a, a person who shows up. I want to be more of a person who's in service in the ways that I can. I think that's a perfect way to end this right mm-hmm. where you are mm-hmm. to lead right where you are. Yes. Um, I think a lot of the time we either consider ourselves not to be a leader or we feel if we have that title of a leader, then we have to do something big. We have to start something. We got to create a movement. We got to do, do and go and be and show up and selfie it. Um, But in reality, we are all leaders of someone somewhere. And we can embody that, like you're saying, by just being the person that you want to see, being embodying that change that you want to see in the world and just showing up. Yeah. Yeah. And also I would say if I could add a little add on, it would be when we're not being the person that we want to be like offer ourselves some compassion and then Mm -hmm. just go clean it up and keep going. Like go apologize or like apologize to yourself, whatever you need to do to keep going. Cause I also think like there are ways that we don't show up in the way that we really want to all the time as human beings. And when we like, contract in shame around those we lose the opportunity to learn and go forward Mm -hmm. embrace the humanness just human that has been something that i have been saying a lot to people but also reminding myself when i get tripped up with all kinds of things but you're just human 
mm-hmm. and it takes all the weight off. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I'm just mere mortal. <laughs> like, totally. That's it. Like, so you can make mistakes and you can fumble and you can say the wrong thing. And all of that is likely going to happen because you're, you're human. Mm-hmm. Grace. Yeah. Grace. Yes. Totally. Mm. Thank you so much, Nisha. Where can we learn more about you in your work? My website is my name, nishamoodley.com. And I also hang out on Instagram, which I enjoy a lot of the time. <laughs> so I would say those two places are the best. Yeah. And I'll add those to the show notes. So thank you so much. I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much, Tiffany. So grateful for the opportunity to talk with you.